It's the first Monday of the month, and we're tackling your questions on our monthly Q&A show. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 265. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And once a month, we turn over the line to you and to feature your questions from the Coaching for Leaders community. And as uh, as she does every month, Bonnie Stahoviak is back with me. Hello, Bonnie. Hello, Dave. We're now under the power of popcorn on this show because we've both <laughs> been snacking on it prior to this episode. I'm pretty sure that's going to make our answers better than they otherwise would have been, Bonnie. And we have a ton of questions to tackle today. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Our first question here is from Dave. First of all, Dave and Bonnie both, thank you so much for your podcast endeavors. I really can't even begin to describe how much I've been learning from you both since just last April when Calvin Thompson first informed me of your work here. In fact, you have been an influence on Angela Gunder, Benjamin Scragg, and myself as we have launched the Innovation Labcast at OLC's first Innovate conference that took place this year. So my question for both of you is this, thinking back to the time in your career where you had maybe hints and inclinations that you were on a leadership sort of trajectory, what advice would you want to give to an earlier version of yourself before you assumed more official leadership roles in your work? Dave, thanks so much for the question. And it's nice to know that we have some ties. You have a great podcasting voice. And apparently we have some connections with OLC, which for people listening who may not know what that organization is, it's the Online Learning Consortium. Oh, cool. I was thinking that sounded familiar as mm -hmm. he was uh, saying that. Yeah, I'll be heading to the conference that they're having in Orlando, Florida in November. Little side note. What a great question, though. It really got me thinking. And my first thought, and it's probably even my first thought that I would say to myself today is to ask more questions. That makes one a better teacher. That makes one a better manager. That makes one a better leader. It makes person a person more able to build relationships in all sorts of different ways, both from a networking standpoint, but also from just having deeper, more meaningful and significant relationships. So that popped up in my mind right away. As a younger manager, I tended to view things in a fairly binary way. And wow, has that ever changed? (laughs) As I think about one of the advantages to getting a little bit older is recognizing the complexity that is in our own lives as individuals. But also I've really enjoyed studying what's called systems thinking. And systems thinking says it's not just about ourselves, but how interconnected that we are with other people, even sometimes that we're never going to meet, even people that are in a culture that we couldn't possibly understand in an entirely different part of the world, that we are a world that is a system. And one of the things that comes up around that is just uh, one of the great books I read I liked a lot is called The Four Agreements. And I've talked about it before on the show. And when, what, what it is is four agreements that we keep with ourselves that help us be more effective. 
And it's funny because I couldn't list all four of them off. I could actually list two right now, but I won't show off. I'll only refer to the one that I'm talking about. But the one that really had a profound impact on me is to never take anything personally. And it sounds so simple. I mean, it really is just, well, of course, don't take things personally, but it goes so deep. It's such a rich chapter, such a rich idea to say that the vast majority of the time we are nowhere as big in someone else's universe as we often make ourselves out to be. We are not the star of the movie in other people's movie of their own lives. <laughs> they are. And that has really been helpful to me. And even they do account for, yes, sometimes it, it's actually much more rare than we ever, ever believe. But sometimes someone actually does mean something personally. Yes, we actually are being attacked. It doesn't happen as much as we think. But even in those times that we can choose not to carry that weight, because it's a really heavy weight and how light it is in this world to walk around and have a real sense of purpose, have a real sense of meaning and significance and not carry around the weight of other people's burdens that come out of their own perhaps insecurities, their own story of their own life that that they could even be doing sometimes what psychologists call projection where we actually project onto other people what we don't like about ourselves or what we're wrestling with ourselves. And so those are just some of the thoughts that came to mind. But it would be great if you happened in the small chance you happened to be going to that conference, we should connect there and, and extend this conversation a little bit more. In fact, Dave, I didn't even tell you this before, but I was thinking I might like to have you call me when I'm at that conference to record an episode of my podcast. Shameless plug is called Teaching in High Red. <laughs> see, you see, see the kind of service you get when you call into the show. Not only do we answer your question, we show up where you are. Yes, but I was thinking we could even do one of your shows about this and ask some other people what the, what comes to their mind. Anyway, I'm brainstorming out loud, but thanks so much for the question. I'm going to kick it over to Dave for some thoughts. Yeah, and I'd actually love to hear from folks in our community. And if you'd like to answer this question too, and we get enough answers, we'll put together a show on it. Uh, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback would be the way to do that. And of course, that's also a great way to send in a question. Uh, thanks to all of you, by the way, for listening, uh, uh, everyone you mentioned, Dave. And um, I, I love Bonnie's answer. And the thought I had when I was listening is related to what Bonnie said is know the audience. And I mean, know the audience in a broad level, not only when speaking or presenting or running a staff meeting, but also when working with someone, leading someone or being led by somebody. So I've learned so many times, sometimes the hard way of really stepping back and trying to think about, okay, this person is managing me right now in this role. What is it that they need? What do they need from me? How can I serve them? Or I am managing this person in this role. Why are they here? Why do they why did they come to work here? What is it that they want to get from this job and this experience and how can I serve them? A customer sitting sitting across from me. How can I really serve this customer in the best way? And that was not my driving thought early in my career. I, I wish it was. And the more I've tuned my attention there of just like getting getting focused on what the audience needs, then I find that when I do a good job of that, the, the things where I'm worrying about myself and how I show up and how I sound and all that, 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 that's still there, but it just ends up taking more of a backseat. And, and the real reason that I want to be there to add value ends up 
showing up, which is great. The other piece of advice I'd give myself, Dave, uh, looking back now, is to be comfortable moving with way less information. <laughs> so as much as I'd want to spend more time asking questions and knowing my audience, like Bonnie said, early in my career, I spent way too much time waiting to get like 90, 95% of the information, having mapped everything out. Instead of sometimes moving with 40 or 50 or 60% of the information, um, because that's life, <laughs> that's complexity in, in leadership in any organization. So I, I would just want to get more comfortable with ambiguity. I'm still working on that, by the way, <laughs> but I think I'm a lot more comfortable than I used to be. So that's, uh, those, are the, those are the two things I'd suggest to myself. When I think back to our first jobs and our first professional jobs and how they shape our lives, I used to work for a computer training company. And the first week was supposed to be devoted to what they called train the trainer. And that would be where you'd get present, mostly presentation skills, not as much on the technical end of things, because that came over time. And they came to me during my first day of training and asked if I would be willing to teach a class the following day on a piece of software I had never seen before. But they said it was just like Microsoft Word, only it's Word Perfect and Word Perfect for Windows, at least. So there was there was that in common, uh, sort of. There was a graphical user interface. At least they didn't send me up to teach Word Perfect for DOS or something because I would have been completely out of out to lunch. But when you talk about not having enough information, I did second day on the job. Talk about I mean, I. I learned as much as I could overnight, but really didn't know what I was getting myself into. And one of the funniest things is driving there in the freeway, I actually carpooled with another man that I had just met and we're driving down the freeway. And they had said I was going to be training a class for JPL. Those letters didn't mean anything to me. We're driving down the freeway. (laughs) (laughs) I see the freeway sign. He goes, oh, look, we're almost there. And I look at the freeway and I go, NASA? NASA? Nobody said anything about NASA. Take me back. Take me back. I can't do this. And I had absolutely no idea that the J stood for jet. The P stood for stood for proportion. Propulsion. I can't say that word today. I can't even say it. All these years later. And the L stood for laboratory, JPL, as in NASA. So yes, um, See, the I, thing- I, I, early out, I, I learned to just go with it and not have all the information and just try to make make it work. See, that's the beautiful thing about you. You did it and you did brilliantly. Didn't you have like a great class that day or something and they all loved you? And, and Yes, but long story short, what I learned I was learning how to do was actually to entertain people and to direct them through a series of steps. I wasn't actually teaching like I think about teaching today. Oh, oh Yeah, but, but no, I did get straight tens and they were all very happy administrative assistants that back then we didn't call administrative assistance. We called an S word. Yeah. <laughs> Starts oh, with so Sakura and ends with Terry. <laughs> you know, um, well, I, I would have died. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're still here. <laughs> That's the difference between us. I would be done now. <laughs> uh, next, we have a question from Bill. He says, I'm struggling to decide how to set the tone of day-to-day phone conversation with my first key employee. He prefers to keep things light and loose as we work through the challenges of the day, but I prefer more of a stern and serious approach when it comes to buckling down and addressing and conquering work challenges. We're very close to taking a big step forward with my new company, and I think the seriousness of the situation 
is starting to come through in my tone and demeanor. We need to seize the opportunity and tighten up in regards to flawless execution and producing great work. How would you recommend that I balance between harboring the fun and friendly tone that my employee values versus setting the tone I want for the current stage of my company? Bill, thanks so much for the question. And I think the answer is both is the balance, like you said. And I, I was zeroing in on the word you mentioned, prefer. So you have a preference for approaching things from more of that stern, serious uh, mindset. And your employee has the preference of looking at things more from kind of that fun, joyful, playful environment. And I would love to work in a workplace that did both well. And some of the best work that I've ever done has been both really serious and also fun and joyful. So I don't I don't see it as an either or. And by the way, you mentioned this is your first employee. I think it's a tremendous asset that you have and a, and a testament to your leadership that you've hired someone that's very different than you because you can both play off each other and utilize your strengths in this situation, this opportunity you've got ahead of you. Because um, I think about it from the standpoint also of your customer and potential client that you've got coming on board. Um, they're probably going to want to see both from your organization. And I think that as an organization, in, in any organization, if we approach the customer, I mean, it depends on the industry, of course, but if we approach the customer either being too you know, playful or being way too serious, the tendency is to either not being taken seriously on one end or on the other end of just not being relatable. And so I think both of those are really valuable. So I'd find the things that you really do well naturally and you take the lead in those areas and the the areas where your employee does things really naturally and, and allow uh, allow them to take the lead in that area. And so it's not so much a not having you change anything, but more so just flexing your style a bit and also tapping into the strengths of each area. I'm, I'm just thinking about someone I've worked with at Carnegie over in the last decade who naturally, um, when she walks into a room, is incredibly uh, effervescent and captures people's attention and makes friends with everyone in the room. And I'm not that person at all. And so I've learned over the years when she's with me, um, I let her take the lead in those situations. We're walking to a large room of people because she'll make all the introductions. And then I can sit down and, and often have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone that gets into a lot more depth that she, that may not be as much of a strength area for her. So there you go. How's that? Do both. <laughs> Dave and I have been in the process of doing some hiring. It's not related to either of our business ventures, but related to our household. We are saying goodbye and farewell to our absolute beloved caregiver, one of the gals that watches our kids. She's been with us for four years now, so it's been a really tough thing. And Dave and I take whoever watches our children that's a very important role and we take it dead seriously it's we i was actually using a service it's a website that allows it's kind of i laugh because it's kind of like a dating service but for child caregivers and i'm very specific in the application that says you know this is the schedule we're looking for so in your reply to us if you're interested you need to let me know your availability based on that and then also answer a question about what your approach is to childcare. And anyone who doesn't do that, I think by now we've received about 20 to 25 different responses. 
and only two or three have actually included that information. Oh. And we take it very seriously. And, and it, I, I was talking with her, the gal that we ended up extending an offer to and hooray, problem solved. <laughs> We're very sad, but also very happy that it's all going to work out now. But when she was over, she was contrasting a friend of hers who had gone on an interview for a similar type of job through that same service. And the family had talked to her friend for only 20 minutes. And mm. oh, you got the job and here's our kids and off you go. <laughs> like our interview, we didn't intend it to be quite this long, but it was a two hour time spent at our house. And then we, we weren't pelting with our questions <laughs> for two hours, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> and then the time with the kids, the first time she came over, we stayed yeah. home. And so the kids could know that we trusted her and enjoyed her company. And it's just building up trust for kind of the long term. So I believe, like Dave just said, in taking it absolutely seriously, but the challenge, it isn't just about flexing for your colleagues' sake. I would also say it's flexing for a couple of reasons. One is because stuff is just going to go wrong. And speaking of this young woman, I, <laughs> you already know where the story is going to go as soon as I start telling it, so I'll be concise. But I was so excited because the new operating system for the iPhone has the ability for you to install apps inside of a messenger. So I had installed some new apps and I kept playing with Dave and sending him ridiculously, ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous things of like me, I'm in an emoticon. Oh, look at me. It's now at a different kind of emoticon. And then I found one through the noun project. Little side note, by the way, the noun project is a great source for icons. If you're ever in a situation where you're trying to build a PowerPoint, some kind of presentation and you need icons, the noun project is the place to go. So the noun project had put out an app for mess iMessage. And I thought, oh, I'll have to check out that. And I'm scrolling through, I go, you know, go to send a message to Dave and I'm scrolling through and finding which one I want to use from the noun project, their, their little new app. And of course I pick the giant pile of poo because it had just been a giant pile of poo kind of week and I didn't need to say much more. Than that. So I just sent it off to Dave and went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning, realized I had sent the giant piece of poop to, you guessed it, the new gal that we're in the process. of. But that was after I'd only had one single conversation with this young woman. So part of my advice and part of my sharing this with you is that if we don't laugh at ourselves, and boy, she and I have had some good laughs. I think we're going to be laughing about this for years together. I would be taking myself too seriously. And when we're working with each other under the kinds of conditions that you are describing, your company is growing, you need flawless execu execution, you need to produce excellent, superb work. When you're working under that kind of pressure, there's got to be a release valve for you, not even just for your colleagues, but so that you can sustain that level of greatness over many, many, many decades of your career. So I say that we've got to embrace the humor. We've got to embrace the joy. We've got to let that loose a little bit so we can protect against burnout. I uh, hope that's helpful to you, Bill. And I bet you didn't think poop was going to be involved in the answer, <laughs> but there you go. You got to leave it to me. <laughs> Always leave it to me to bring the poop in. <laughs> oh, awesome. All right, let's go next to our next question from Louisa. Uh, Louisa says, I'm interested in working in nonprofit organizations and wondering about how to lead volunteers. Is there an episode about it? Or can you recommend any book, article, or author? Thank you so much. And I wish you all success. 
I know Dave has some specific recommendations. I just wanted to say that the company that the nonprofit that I've learned so much about from this is called Working Wardrobes. It's not like Working Wardrobes is around the country or even around the world. But here in Orange County, California, they have a number of different locations. The reason I bring them up is that they have devoted an entire function in their organization just to leading volunteers. And the times when we've been able to volunteer with them or engage with them in different ways over the years, I'm so impressed with that person because they see it as these volunteers are are really like employees, except that they're not paid. So what needs to happen with employees? We need to do an excellent job of recruiting them. So thinking about the recruitment function and all the different ways that you might go about recruiting volunteers, we need to recruit them not just to be general volunteers, but to actually have job descriptions for specific functions in which volunteers are needed. And that actually the better that we do at cultivating our volunteers, the more successful we're going to be, because ultimately that means more financial donations. So actually coming up with lots and lots and lots of different, very, very targeted specific things that volunteers could do, even if you don't have enough volunteers right now, but still to have that as a place to grow and posting that on your website, that kind of thing, then we need to bring volunteers in and match them with a job, right? So we have to do a little bit of thinking about the jobs. We need to think about promoting volunteers, which volunteers are doing a great job in their current function, but they're actually underutilized in their current function. So we need to actually have promotions for our volunteers. And then as, as tacky as this might sound, as my mom would say, we need to fire our volunteers sometimes. Sometimes volunteers are toxic to our organizations and we need to have a process for terminating volunteers. And what does that look like? And I, Sandy Morgan, who has been on Dave's show before, I don't remember. Did she talk about that many, many moons ago on the show? Uh, I can't remember, actually. I think we talked about storytelling more so, but she'd okay. be a great person for us to have on about this, actually, because she's done so much of it. That's she's, I've heard her give talks before about it and because she used to work with volunteers. Well, she used to. She still does still now. Still does, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she's a great source to how the person still feels good. They were treated with dignity. They were treated with fairness in the sense of that there's just not a good fit here, but it doesn't have to be a highly toxic kind of conversation just to let loose someone who is toxic to your volunteer pool. And so anyway, those are a couple of things that I thought about was this working wardrobes as such a great example for me, the best nonprofit I've seen as far as working with volunteers and really cultivating them and making them integral into the organization. And then, yeah, Sandy's story about what she's done before with volunteers is really powerful. And just that the importance of thinking about not every volunteer should be put to work in your organization. Yeah. And I think if you want to really learn great leadership skills, one of the best things you can do is volunteer and and volunteer also to then lead volunteers um, as you grow with an organization. That's a fantastic training ground for you and for them on how to influence without authority. And uh, we're five years into this project now of running Coaching for Leaders and still the the number one viewed article on the Coaching for Leaders website is one of the articles I wrote at the very beginning. It's eight ways to influence without authority. And that is because there's more similar now than there is different, I think, in a lot of organizations 
on how you lead employees and uh, and volunteers. Because in many organizations, now we're seeing the trend that it's the case that even if you have a position of authority, um, you've got a dotted line relationship to three other people and they have dotted line relationships to other folks. And um, so many of us now have so many different stakeholders within organizations and within our industries that even, even in a traditional employment environment, we're asked, we're all being asked to influence without authority. And so one of the episodes, Louisa, I, I think about that would be really helpful to go back and listen to if you haven't heard it already, is Simon Sinek, when he was on talking about uh, Start With Why, and that was episode 232, I think. I'll track it down uh, in the notes, if not. No, I'm sorry, 223. And, uh, and he really makes the case for what is it you're doing why are you doing what you're doing as an organization but i also think that that's really relevant getting back to the last conversation of like how do you connect with people well and really take time to serve people if you do that well and you're able to match the needs of the people volunteering with the needs of the organization i think that's huge and so it's a great great opportunity to continue to build your leadership skills and i'd certainly recommend it oh you know one other mention i wanted to make here is i was on a uh, new podcast. Uh, One of our listeners, Daniel Hare, has a new podcast called the All-Star Leader Podcast. And we just did an episode recently that just aired. I'll put a link in the notes. And we talked uh, a bunch about volunteering and leadership. So I'll make uh, that might be a helpful listen for you too as as well, Louisa. So our next question here is from Jeff. Jeff writes, I recently accepted my first real management type job. Even before taking this job, I knew there were challenges that I was going to have to work to overcome. My manager has given me directives, which my staff does not agree with. There is constant trash talk up and down the chain about some of the people we serve and a refusal by some long-term employees to learn and grow in their positions to better serve our clients. I recently ran into a friend that When I told him I got this job, he said he had heard horror stories about the venues. When I asked what that meant, he said it was mostly, quote, mismanagement, lack of knowledgeable staff, and poor facility maintenance. I was aware of these things, but hearing it from someone outside of the organization means that our customers and the greater community feel this way about us as well. My fear is that my efforts will fall flat if I'm unable to change the culture. Do you have any recommendations or resources on how I can help change the culture of the organization to be one where the employees support each other and are willing to grow and improve? Any advice to a novice manager would be greatly appreciated. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for the question. A tough situation for sure for any, any leader to walk into. And I really appreciate your recognition of the complexity of this and looking at it from a cultural standpoint. I think it's a really smart way to look at it because there is a lot of complexity here and it will take time. And it reminds me of something that happened very early on in my career. I had, I think I've told the story in the show before, so I won't go into details, but um, I had a situation where I handled a customer complaint very poorly early in my career. And, and it, it was handled so poorly by me and by organization that it did cause people in the community who were our customers to ask questions about, you know, is this a good organization? Is this a good leader? And um, what I learned from that, we had, a, we had a policy within the company, by the way, that we didn't issue refunds to customers unless it was some extremely crazy situation. And so what I learned from that situation was um, I wasn't going to change the policy of the company once it had kind of blown up in my face. Um, I realized I needed to do something differently. And 
I realized I wasn't going to change the policy of the company, but what I could change was my approach to it. And what I did now, I recognize, uh, having learned some of Dale Carnegie's material since, uh, Dale Carnegie has this principle of appeal to the nobler motive, uh, is to appeal to the best in people, the, the, the kind of thing that anyone or almost anyone could get behind. And so we didn't change the company policy because I didn't have control over that. But what I did have control over my location is just our operating culture with how we dealt with customers. And my rule became no more fights with customers because we had had fights before because of the way we were implementing the policy. And I just finally said to all of our staff, once I realized myself how in error I was, I said, let's have a new rule here. And the new rule is we don't fight with customers. If it comes to that point, we issue a refund, we do whatever we need to do. We're not going to have fights anymore. It doesn't make sense from a business standpoint and from a human being standpoint. And that was a policy that I just created, but I led by example. I talked about our staff. I talked to our staff when situations came up and I made decisions because of that policy. And the other piece of this that's complex, Jeff, is you mentioned you know, management chain and some people, you know, there being some trash talking within the organization. Um, you want, if, you can, if you can marshal people around a nobler motive, no one's going to argue with that. Like No one in the organization I worked for was going to uh, go, ap- go after me because I had the policy of no fighting with customers. <laughs> that's something everyone can get behind. And so I think that if you can start to find what's the bigger reason What's the thing that's bigger than just you and the employees and the management team? The bigger reason for what you're doing within the organization and the community. And if you can rally people around that and be the example of that in everyday interactions, I think that's the thing that starts to change the culture within the organization. So I hope that's helpful to you, Jeff, and uh, and gives you a few starting points on that. Uh, let's take, uh, let's see, we've got time for one more question here from Elmer. Elmer wrote in and said, I was listening to the episodes about StrengthsFinder on your show, uh, which, by the way, are episodes 89 and 90, for those of you who've just recently started listening, uh, and I decided to give it a try. After getting the results from StrengthsFinder, however, I don't know quite what to do with that information. I've checked out the Gallup's YouTube recordings as well as read about which each theme is about, and that helped me in forming the vocabulary to articulate my strengths. I guess I'm asking, how did how do I take that data and turn it into results producing actions? One of the ways that I have found it helpful to to actually put it into practice is when working on a project. And when we're about to kick off a project, thinking about what aspects of the project that my strengths can most fit and actually having identified the key areas where I'm going to be able to most support the rollout of whatever it is. Right now, I just was put in charge of the rollout, at least as the training part of it at our institution of a new technology tool. And I knew already, and and to me, I didn't just frame it around strengths, but also around my own experience that was going to be particularly useful in that. So it wasn't only a frame of strengths, but we can use it as one frame. And then to recognize where we really don't have all the strengths that this particular project is going to need, and then how to leverage other stakeholders or other people that are assigned to the project around their strengths. One of the things we want to be careful of is that there are some people who have a real aversion to any type of a personality test or that kind of thing. And so we don't want to muddy the waters by trying to launch something like this, but you can usually identify approximately 
other people's strengths, especially if they really, really are good at something. You don't have to name it around the way that Gallup has framed it. And you especially don't ever want to, if even if they have taken the strengths finder start to say, you are this, you are that. Dave, we're always very careful about, you know, this is a preference or this is one of your strengths as opposed to, because that's what gets real messy is when we try to oversimplify human behavior, because we're always more complicated than whatever model it is we're using, but still the models can be particularly useful. So I like to think of it around the frame. What are my strengths going to do to help me on this project? And actually, where will they hold us back? And then how do I get other people engaged that have the strengths that are needed for this particular project that I don't have? Yeah, I, was, uh, I agree with all that. And I was reading through Elmer's question. And I was, I was um, reading through the lens of career path. And so in addition to that, Elmer, if you're thinking about this from yourself of like, what's next for me in my career, um, StrengthsFinder is a good starting point for that. One of the things that Scott Barlow and I mentioned on episode 259 is that uh, StrengthsFinder isn't really like an action-oriented assessment. So it gives you data and language um, and vocabulary, like you said, on what your strengths are, but it's sort of not clear what to do next. And, and StrengthsFinder isn't designed to do anything next with that. It's really just designed to give you the vocabulary and the language. For a next step, I'd recommend two things. Uh, one of them is on episode 259, the one Scott Barlow was on that I mentioned a moment ago. Scott talked about a eight-day free course that he offers to the folks who are part of his community, and he gave access to folks in our community to attend that as well. It's at coachingforleaders.com slash figure it out. And he talks about how they use StrengthsFinder when they're working with people around figuring out their careers as a starting point. Um, but that that free eight-day course, I think, will give you a sense of, okay, what's the next piece after that once I have some of that language together? And if you would rather take a look at a book, probably the best book that I'd recommend as a framework for this is What Color Is Your Parachute by Richard Nelson Bowles. It's a classic book, and it's it's revised every single year. And it's a it's very tactical as a book as far as it gives you all the strategies on you know what kind of things to do as far as you know interviewing and negotiating and all those sort of things. Um, but the first half of the book is all about thinking about your career path from a standpoint of your skills and your strengths and your talents. And I think if you took the data that you've gained from StrengthsFinder and started with what colors your parachute, I think it would it will take you through a number of exercises to get you starting to think about what are you really talented at? What are you really good at? What resonates with you? And it'll help you inform the next step in your career. And um, I went through the book uh, 10, 11, 12 years ago before I worked for Carnegie, and it was a fabulous guide for me to start putting a framework around that and to create the corners of the puzzle, like Scott and I talked about uh, uh, on episode 259, of starting to frame what that would look like and then to be able to put all the pieces together to decide what's next in a career. Thank you, Bonnie. And we have talked about a bunch of resources and links in today's episode. They're all captured on the show notes. And the best way to get access to those every week is to join the weekly leadership guide because you'll get it in your inbox on Wednesday after the episode airs on Monday. And along with that, you'll also get a list of the uh, things that I found online that I think will help support you in your leadership development, other podcasts, videos, 
articles, uh, things that I think will support your continued development between the shows. And the best way to get access to that is to go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And if you haven't been there before, when you join, you will also get to download my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others. And along with that comes a video from me explaining uh, the value of each of those books. So it's a great way to start your leadership development journey. If you've not done a lot of reading on that before, again, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe is the best way to get access to that. And there's a number of episodes that we mentioned today and and didn't yet mention that are related to some of the points uh, from the questions. I already mentioned episodes 89 and 90 that are on StrengthsFinder, both the value of the assessment and Bonnie and I walked through our StrengthsFinder results on episode 90. So that is worth a look if StrengthsFinder is of interest to you. Uh, In addition, on episode 122, I welcomed Rich Sheridan, who talked with me about uh, Menlo and the organization he leads and how they have built a business around a workplace that embraces joy. And if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, if you've just started listening recently, I would really encourage you to go check it out, especially if you lead an organization and are looking for a way to bring uh, joy into the workplace and bring humanity into the workplace. It's a fabulous, fabulous interview. Again, that's episode 122, How to Create Joy at Work. Uh, already mentioned Simon Sinek, episode 223. And then finally, Scott Barlow was on episode 259, How to Figure Out Your Career. I made mention to his free course earlier in the episode. Uh, that's a great listen if you're trying to figure out what's next in your career, or maybe you've checked out StrengthsFinder. Uh, again, the way to get access to all the previous episodes is just go to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. That will get you there. And next week, I am really thrilled to be able to welcome Linda Gratton to the show. She is one of the top management thinkers in the world. She's joining me on the next episode to share wisdom from her new book that's titled The 100-Year Life and its implications for organizations, leadership, and you. We're all living longer now, which a lot of us know. What we haven't done is think through how that matters for our careers and our organizations. We're going to tackle that a lot next week, so stay tuned for that. Thank you to Nicole down under in Australia for the kind review on iTunes. Nick, thanks a ton. I so appreciate it. If you would like to leave a rating or review on iTunes as well, thank you in advance. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes to do so. Have a fabulous week and I'll look forward to talking with you in your inbox on Wednesday for those of you who get the weekly leadership guide. Have a great week. Take care.